0: With the unfortunate Chet Holmgren news this morning, where do the Thunder go from here? And if they were to get that coveted number one overall pick next year, who should they take? We'll talk about all of that coming up next.
1: You are a Locked On NBA Big Board, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. We appreciate it. And we've got a fun topic that we're going to hit on today. Unfortunately, it is the result of some depressing news if you followed the draft like we have. But on the positive side, I've got a great guest to join me today. Um, His name is Chuck. He does the Chucking Darts podcast. I've made multiple appearances on his. He's been there on mine in the past uh, as well. Uh, My name is Sam Ferris. You can follow me on Twitter at Draft Dummies. I'm constantly there posting thoughts, clips, stats, everything as it revolves to the rookies, the second-year guys in the NBA, and the prospects especially that are going to be a part of next year's NBA Draft. Um, But Chuck, how's it going for you this afternoon? Thank you for taking the time to join me.
1: Oh, it's it's lovely to be here, and thank you very much for having me. It's Obviously, um, a significant bummer that Chet Holmgren is out for the year for a ton of different reasons. But in any circumstance in the NBA, there's always, um, I don't want to say a silver lining necessarily, but there's always intrigue as to what it means for the rest of the league. The truth is, even though there's this is sort of a uh, lull period in NBA news, and so this injury is hitting particularly hard, every team is going to have very significant injuries, you know, in one form or fashion or another that will, that it will have to withstand. And so it's especially noteworthy for the thunder because getting Chet Holmgren reps was, you know, that's how they're not only going to, to compete at whatever level they were planning on competing this season, but it's how they're building the identity of their team and the future of their team and the direction of their team. So There's plenty to discuss um, rather than
0: to just sort of mourn the loss of Chet's uh, rookie year. Yep, and that's what we want to do. Like, uh, I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm worried about the injury, but I'm hopeful. I had him as my number one prospect last year. You had him in your top three as well. I think most everyone did. And so to kind of lay out an outline of what we want to hit in today's episode is first segment we're going to talk about you know where does okc go from here how uh, how does this that affect them in the short term in terms of what their record and what their on court production looks like this year and then the second year we're going to take a step back and look at we're going to rank basically the top 3 young players basically excluding sga how would we rank the okc thunders top 3 players in terms of what we would value and then in the final segment what we'll do is uh, again, taking another step back is if they are to get the number one overall pick next year, what would we do with that pick? Uh, before we get into it, though, this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. And Bet Online has you covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right. So, Chuck, uh, the spot where I want to start here is I saw a uh, uh, some thunder Twitter account post basically that the line in terms of the wins that OKC is projected to win next year, they're over under was uh, supposedly moved all the way down to 17 and a half, which am I crazy for thinking that is way too low? Uh, Chuck, what's your initial thought on that? Uh, are they, can they be basically the worst team that we've seen in the NBA for the last three or four years? Do you think that's a reasonable expectation?
1: No, not really. No. I I think that uh, mileage can vary, I guess a little bit on SGA. I'm very, very high on SGA and there's only so bad you're going to be when you have, um, I think conservatively a top 35 player sort of, getting better which is you know the the arrow in sga's career is pretty consistently pointing up and so if they just do something as simple as let him play a full season because they have shut him down early the last two seasons because they were winning too many games then it stands to reason that they will they'll be safely in you know mid 20s maybe even a bit more than that maybe a bit less but above sort of the the real dreck um yeah. you know they've actually the thunder have proven themselves to be a pretty institutionally competent team with a real team identity that they've been able to foster in the middle portion of the last couple of seasons it's just then that they they purposefully <laughs> stopped doing that cuz yeah. they want to they want to get the uh the odds in their favor as, as drastically as they can. But it, I guess it'll be up to that if they really, really, really want to lean into being really bad, but I don't really think that's how they'll operate. I think they will try to compete as long as they play their best players. And then they'll try to compete when they sit those players. And that's, it's when they sit SGA and giddy and they really lean into their bench. They sit dort that's when those losses will pile up. But I don't think the loss of Chet alone means that they're going to lose a ton more games than they would have had when they uh, were playing him.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree with everything you said. And I want to quickly put this in perspective because so last year, OKC won 24 games. I think the lowest win total last year was the Rockets at 20. Um, But you have to go back. If you're looking for a team that's won under 18 games, or at least been on that pace for for winning less than 18 games in a season, you have to go all the way back to the 2018-2019 Knicks. And that team was really, really, really bad. So I'm going to read you off of basketball reference, their leading scores for that team that year. So their top five leading scores were Kevin Knox, Tim Hardaway Jr., Emmanuel Mudiay, Damian Dotson, Alonzo Trier. And then 6th and 7th was Ennis Freedom and Noah Vonley. Oh. So there to me, there is no way that OKC is going to be that bad this season. Now, to your point, one of the potential benefits of losing Chet is that they go tank mode and they get that last final blue piece chip. But I I just don't think they can tell SGA to sit down again for a significant part of the season. I don't think that's realistic. And so, to me, like I said, like you said, and like I said, the only way that that happens is significant injuries. And then the minutes that Chet and maybe SGA, if he sits down, if those minutes start going to the end of the bench, the fringe NBA guys like they did last year, then. You know, it might be getting close, but still, again, after reading that roster for the Knicks last year, I don't think that this team is nearly that bad. And also one other piece I'll add in is more NBA teams rest guys now, especially when they're playing like the perceived bad teams. And so you'll see teams pick up wins that way. I just don't think we're going to see teams win less than 20 games all that often.
1: I think it depends a little on um, what really the goal of the team is year to year. Like the Thunder lose games because they play really young players, but they are trying to build like they for, you know, last year and I think the year before in the beginning of the year, they lose because all these young players are getting used to the NBA for the first time in many cases, and that means you're going to rack up losses. But then in the middle portion of the year, when OKC really under um, Mark, is it Dagnall? Is that how you say it? Dagnall? Dagnall? Mm -hmm. Um, They've really been able to foster some defensive like ethic on their team. I remember Mark Schindler had a really good article about that, about how diligent they were about preventing layups and how everyone's, you know the idea that they they want to cheat into the paint as much as they can to prevent drives and that buys into or that I guess works in concert with their draft strategy of getting all this length and all these big wings guys who can sort of dig and recover and keep the defense sort of on a string they've been able to foster that a little bit and I expect them to do the same thing they're not an aimless team when you get into the teens it's it's because there just isn't a whole lot of purpose from the top down in the organization for what's going to happen that year. But OKC has consistently tried to improve the players on their team. It like, And I just think that the idea of tanking is a little maybe misunderstood. It, it has more to do with the players you choose to play than with trying to lose games when you're in it. And I just think... Dagnol's just too good a coach. SGA is too good. Giddy is like a real blue chip talent. Dort is a very good, solid two-way NBA player. Like, I just think they have a little too much to fall into that sort of aimless category.
0: No, I a hundred percent agree. And now Uh, That's a perfect lead into into the next segment where we're going to do some of our rankings, talk about the most coveted young prospects on the team. But first, a word from our sponsor, BetOnline. Betonline BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your betting needs. Find all your favorite spots, sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including the MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering info. So head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. Again, that's Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, Chuck. So you mentioned a few of the young guys. And uh, what you and I do once a year, which I really enjoy doing, is the big, uh, the big podcast where we rank uh, three draft classes, the most recent three draft classes. So we've talked about some of these guys, but I wanted to get your thoughts and to kind of revisit this now because one of my thoughts is that you know even though OKC has tanked the last few years, that you're not going to see too many blue chip prospects playing for them next year, unfortunately. And so that kind of sucks to see. They, they frankly haven't had great luck. Uh, they fell in the lottery ended up with giddy a couple years ago, who we both like, but not a top three pick. And then we both love Chet and he's injured. So I kind of want to revisit how you would rank the guys and we're excluding Chet from this. We're excluding SGA. We're going to say guys that have been drafted in the last three drafts. Let's rank our top three guys. And uh, let's start from the bottom and go up. So um, do you have your number three guy ready or do you want me to go first, Chuck? You go first because they're. Yeah, you go first. Go ahead. Okay. so for me, it would be Trey Mann and. I'm actually I've been higher than the consensus on yeah. Trey Man throughout. Fig- Figure three was low for you for Trey. Yeah, three is the lowest he could go, but I think there's kind of a cutoff there. Um, I had him as a lottery guy going into the draft. I thought his finish to last season was spectacular. Um, one of my favorite guys to just watch his highlights from because like his sa- his self creation, his step back especially is is lethal, and if you cut just his top highlights from last year, he would look like an all-star scoring guard already with that ability to create his own shot on the perimeter. And he's just in a good off-ball shooter as well. So I kind of like that scalability offensively from him. He is a bit smaller, doesn't offer a ton defensively, but the combination of the scalability offensively with the potential on-ball self-creation offense is why I've always been higher on him than most and i think i still am so yeah you're surprised i had him that low at three i really like the two guys above him though um would you agree having him at three or do you got somebody else in that spot
1: i have someone else and i would i would put trey at two just to preview that okay so he he would be my number two but uh it's there's because I have a feeling I know who you're going to put it to, because we've done this podcast where we rank these guys, Mm -hmm. but my number three, I'll go with Usman Jang. Okay. Okay. That's who I had um, as, I guess their second best draft pick from this past draft. Now they took him and Jalen Williams back to back and uh, Jalen Williams from Santa Clara, that is back to back. And, Jalen had a really good summer league where he, you know, looked great. He looked great at the combine. He shot up all these pre-draft boards. Um, I had him just outside of the lotto as of draft night, and I would move him up based on his summer league performance a little bit. But in Usman, you know, he is sort of uh, emblematic of a recent trend of, maybe not even not so recent, maybe it goes further back, of Sam Presti, you know, GM of the Thunder about drafting guys who have a, you know really good size and they have some definite skill but there's a real question about how they are going to score. How like what sort of offensive threat do they really present? At the NBA level, that is a knock that was on Terrence Ferguson. It was on Hamadou Diallo. It was on Darius Baisley. It was on Alexi Pokashevsky. It's on Josh Giddy, who I'm sure we're going to get to. And it's on Usman a little bit as well. And this is really where, you know, Presti is doing the strength in numbers, where all of this draft capital that he has amassed allows him so many bites at the apple that, you know, if two or three of these guys end up becoming viable NBA offensive players, then they're going to be really, really good. And I believe in Usman's ability to do that um, because in the NBL, as an 18-year-old, he proved himself, in my opinion, over the second half of his season last year, uh, which was about 13 games or so, to really have like pretty consistent flat <clears throat> excuse me pretty consistent flashes on both sides of the ball he uh he can really like operate a pick and roll and has a real handle at 6 foot 9 to get where he needs to go on the court he's not a crazy athlete but he has just sort of these loping strides that give him just an inherent advantage cuz not many guys are his size I mean, I think I called him six nine, but he probably has room to grow, and it's a safe bet that he'll be six ten or taller by the time that he is in his prime. And he would play both on and off the ball uh, for the Breakers, and showed himself again in the second half of the year to be a pretty capable spot up threat. And you know, his step back and his three off the dribble was one of his main shots when he had the ball in his hands that he would flash as well. So he's not sort of like Baisley, who is always, you know, bull in a China shop a little bit on offense, you know, lacking a lot of polish. He has a real bag. And I actually thought that um, maybe the three best passers off the dribble in that draft among guys who are like wing size and up, you know, really sort of the blue chippy guys you look for. I thought the three best were Paulo, Jalen Williams, and Usman. And, you know, the Thunder got two of them. So I really, you know, as long as that shot goes in, then you have a dribble-pass-shoot wing at 6'10". And it's still... Jury's out on whether or not it's going to, like, really hit for him. I understand that. And he's going to get some minutes this year. And he's probably not going to be great in them. And that's understandable. He also... um I mentioned he's not a crazy athlete. He's he shied away from contact a little bit, but he wasn't. I don't think it was really that bad. I think he got hit maybe with that. He's a little soft label or he plays softly. I actually thought his timing on defense was pretty good and that he did absorb contact, you know, pretty well, at least as well as, uh, say, Giddy did in his year in Australia. The difference being that Giddy is just more aggressive of an offensive player in getting downhill. But I just think the elements are really there. And I think that it is easier, at least for me, to see Usman hitting and sticking than maybe it is for some of these other guys that OKC has drafted that I mentioned earlier.
0: Hmm. Certainly a very interesting pitch. And I think um, I think that Jang is going to be a recipient of some of the minutes that Chet would have played because mm-hmm. I, I was kind of looking at their depth chart because they've got so many guys is the thing that need minutes, need development. I was kind of worried that Jang would maybe be on the outside looking in, maybe play G league minutes and, and he still might. I'll be interested to see where he is in the rotation on opening night, but we know at some point, some of these guys, now we don't know if they're going to go full tank mode, but he, he's going to get to play at some point throughout the season. Like, okay, see is not there trying to win every game. He's going to get minutes, whether it's early on or later in the season. Um, And so my question is with him, because I I understand those skills that you said, and I I love the physical profile. Sometimes one of the hardest things in evaluation, though, is balancing evaluating the player versus evaluating the archetype. You know, because with me, I see the 6'10", And I see that there is the baseline of the past dribble shoot, but I think I'm a little less confident in each of them maybe than you are. So Mm -hmm. to finish it up with him, what would you say you're most confident in him doing as an NBA player through his first two seasons?
1: I assume that you, you want a positive trait. You, know what yeah. <laughs> you want me to say I'm yeah, very like confident. Yeah, like what does he contribute at
0: an NBA level through his first two seasons?
1: At an NBA level, first two seasons. Because for, I think me, for will-
0: me, I think I would say that the defense probably, I would say is the most likely to like translate mm-hmm. uh, early on in his career. I just, I, I don't really buy the jumper too much right now. And I certainly don't think he's going to have the ball in his hands all that often. So can he attack closeouts, get to the rim? All that's a little iffy to me, um, but the defense to me is kind of where the upside and where the intrigue is because he moves well, like you said, at that size and he's like pretty intelligent and he's in this good Oklahoma City scheme under Mark Dagnall. So my hope is that maybe he exceeds kind of my expectations defensively. What
1: I would say is uh, his play in transition. That's what I think he'll be immediately pretty good at. Because I am a big fan of his vision. And I think that um, when he's not facing a crowded paint himself, that he can get downhill and pressure the rim well, draw help, know where his options are. And I do believe in him as a spot-up shooter. So in terms of being like NBA average or better immediately, I would say as a transition player.
0: Okay. I like that answer. All right, um, moving on to number two, and I'm glad. So you don't have Jalen Williams in your top three, right? <laughs> it's
1: tough. I think he and yeah. Usman are very, very close. But That's let's have the discussion right ca- now. No,
0: I'm I'm glad I have you on because you can kind of uh, tamper down. I'm getting too excited with Jalen Williams. <laughs> There's been too much time to think about summer league. Uh, it, yeah, I've I've watched those games too often, thought about it too much. That I'm probably overrating that. And, and then the NBA season comes along and you kind of forget about summer league, but right now we have so much time to think about it that you kind of do like you can't overthink about it or value it too much. Cause there's not much else to consume. Um, but with Jalen Williams, to me, honestly, I'd have him one B to Josh Giddy's one a, to me, it'd be really close. Like I, I just, to me, it's the scalability with him on both ends. He really, he, where he exceeded my expectations in summer league was everywhere but especially defensively <laughs> yeah <laughs> like his hands were great he moves well his arms go forever like I got to see him play both in Vegas and Salt Lake in person and like Chet definitely stands out in person just because how big how tall he is but the other thing that stood out physically was Jalen Williams length is just crazy for his size um and so The thing is, like, honestly, if I were for the Thunder specifically, I would value Giddy more. I think his upside's a little higher if he hits as that on-ball creator. But if I'm another team that isn't the Thunder and I already have one or two primary on-ball guys, like, I'd probably take Jalen Williams. and, And I just think that, you know, from here, Oklahoma City still has one or two major pieces to add. And we're going to talk about this in the next segment that, you know, what if they add a Scoot Henderson next year? To me, that kind of devalues Giddy a little bit, but regardless of who else OKC adds, like Jalen Williams is going to fit along next to him really well.
1: Yeah, like if I, if this question were which one of their, I'm going to call them darts. I'm going to push my own brand here. -hmm. So it was going to be which one of OKC's darts Um, is most likely to be a part, to play like real rotation minutes on a good playoff team, Jalen Williams would probably be my number one pick for that because of what you're talking about. Now, the question is, is rotation minutes as a seventh man or is it as a third starter? Because that's a world of difference in value. And Mm -hmm. my question with Jalen is that, I I don't know that um, physically as an athlete, I mean, obviously his length is really, really good, and he's very skilled, like I mentioned, as an off-the-dribble passer. He's clearly a better shooter than an, anyone on this list except for maybe Trey Mann. We can have that discussion. Yeah. Um, but whether or not he can game in and game out, um, just sort of hold up in the NBA... His, his question as a prospect, the reason why he wasn't more of a consensus lotto pick and why his choice in the lotto was a, like a mild surprise
0: mm-hmm.
1: was that he wasn't very dominant in um, the West Coast Conference for Santa Clara, despite being an upperclassman. You know, He was 21 yeah. years old. And I think there are explanations for why he wasn't. I think that he was in OK shape, but not really NBA shape. And I think that they played slowly. You know, that team scheme was to play pretty slow. But I still think it is fair to question, once you step up in competition, now you're playing the best players in the world, is he going to be someone who's going to sustain his percentages and sustain um, his productivity playing 30-plus minutes a night? You know, because that's just a massive jump in competition. Now, for my part, with Usman... I mean, Usman at times looked physically overwhelmed in the Australian league. Like he has his own adjustment he needs to make, and I so he's much younger, yeah, yeah. But he is just freshly nineteen, like a full two yeah. years younger, and is just a bigger, I think, more, um, I guess, translatable would be the word athlete than Williams is. So the question is, do does Williams basically advanced shooting, which is his biggest separator as a skill from Usman, is that just going to keep him in the NBA and maybe kick Usman out? Uh, And, you know, in your comparison to to Trey Mann, I guess you would say that Jalen Williams projects, I guess, clearly better defensively than Trey, because those two are about the same age as well, are they not?
0: Yeah, they are. Yeah, just the length defensively is what I'd put over him. Um, But to your point, like I agree. And I I didn't have him in the lottery coming into the draft. He's the one guy that I moved substantially based off summer league. We'll see if I'm right or not in a couple of years. Uh, But what's funny is um, within the last week, I was watching Pepperdine tape for Houston Millette, Maxwell Lewis, and I picked a game against Santa Clara just for fun to watch. And now through the lens of having seen him, I was like, man, he looks amazing. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I, I, maybe I just picked, you know, I, I've watched plenty of them, but maybe it was just through the lens of having really liked him at Summer League that now that I went back and watched him, I was like, why didn't I have this guy in the lottery? Just the passing. And he did dominate that game. Like he was spectacular. So just kind of interesting. Um We'll see kind of who's right on that. But to put on a cap on it, you and I have talked about this, but like we we value creators and that on ball upside because if you can find those guys those are the number one most valuable thing you can have but what's funny for me that i've noticed is that then i become more conservative as i evaluate nba players that you know we talk about oh i i want that creator but then if if there's if they've got constraints like a josh giddy where i don't believe in the jumper then all of a sudden I like kind of back off maybe too early and I prefer the safer guy that I know can scale to a role and play for a team. And so that's something that I'm going to kind of continue to track in terms of my theory, my belief, the way I see the game as I continue to follow more draft classes. Um, but we got to get into a break and then we can hit on Josh Giddy really quickly and then do the, uh, the debate of how, we think Wim Banyana would fit from a high level next to a guy like Chet. All right, so let's finish up the discussion. Just a couple minutes on Josh Giddy before we get into uh, the potential for the number one pick next year. So um, just really quickly, Chuck, where are you at on him? Do you still believe in him being a potential on-ball guy for OKC as they look forward into the future?
1: Uh, I do, but I think that that is the primary question that they're going to try to answer this year, is what is the chemistry between him and SGA really? Do those two make each other better, really? And if they don't, then they don't have to move one of them now, but it will be on their mind, you know, as those guys get up for extensions and everything like that. um, Look, Giddy, again, it's, he he is a legit 6'9", and is probably one of the 10 or 15 best passers off the dribble in the NBA. And that might be putting it lightly. That's conservative, I, mean, that, I think, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's how talented he really, really is. I think the questions about the jumper are fair. I don't think he's ever gonna be, you know a top um, half of the league shooter overall, but I just believe that it's more about your threat to score in the NBA and I think that's where the league is going is threat to score rather than threat to shoot. And uh, I think Giddy's gonna be a threat to score. I think he's too intelligent at attacking gaps. I think he's too big. I think as he gets older and he gets even more physically confident, which he already, he doesn't lack for confidence, even though he lacks for some, you know, physical bulk. But as he starts to fill out, like he's going to get to the cup and finish and draw fouls. And I just think that that is going to, you know, he's going to be, I I don't want to say like a triple double machine or anything like that. I don't want to be too aggressive. But he's going to be a pretty consistent dictator of NBA pace and NBA offense. And he is so smart that having the ball in his hands is going to be a good idea for just just any team that he ends up on. That's why I was so high on him going into the draft is because guys like him at his size with his acumen do not fail ever. And if you just if you can just allow yourself to think of him improving his scoring or his shooting just a little bit, then the gains are exponential because he has every other offensive piece that you could want. Um, And I think that he's going to survive on defense. I know that again, he's not going to be a a lockup guy, but as part of a scheme where he can again, cheat and then recover and just sort of try to be in front and bother guys and, you know, contest from the rear I just think he's going to be really, really good. I mean, it's hard to for or hard to remember, easy to forget. He's still 19 years old. He turns 20 in November, and so I, I just am very, very high on Giddy.
0: Yeah, I, I like your point about the threat to score more than just the threat to shoot. And something I've been thinking about is, you know, even if he doesn't become like an offensive engine, a total obvious primary. Well, the way OKC has been drafting is bigger players that can play on the ball Uh, you know, whether it's Jalen Williams or Jang, SGA, Giddy, Chet, even to an extent like all these guys can play on the ball. So maybe they end up going to like just a very egalitarian type offense where there is no real primary and maybe Giddy doesn't really ever hit as a shooter but. He's just so smart playing off the ball, cutting, um, and just playing off of other people that they can kind of make it work like that, where you don't necessarily have to shoehorn him in as the guy that's constantly running pick and roll. And so that will be interesting to monitor. I do think, though, that, like you said, I would agree. I think the number one thing that they do have to figure out this year is, Does Giddy fit with SGA? I wish we could have seen it with Chet, but his fit here to me is the number one question. Um, I do want to move on though, because I want to hit on your opinion of if they were to get the number one pick next season. So let's get right into that. Um, We don't need to litigate the whole uh, debate, everything about Yama. We've got plenty of time to do that over the next year. But in terms of the fit next to Chet, are they two alike? Uh, do you Would you value fit if you were them? Would you just straight up take them? Where, where would you be imagining that they do end up getting the, the number one pick a year from now?
1: Uh, asking me right now on August 25th, I would probably take him. But that's also because I haven't done all my homework on this class. And I don't know that I found anyone that I would really prefer more. So maybe I find that person. I do have a a tendency to get very optimistic (laughs) on certain guys come draft time. But look, the concern I suppose with Wembenyama would be that um, I guess that the two of them lack some sort of perimeter mobility, I guess, but I don't really see how that would apply. I mean, Wembenyama is really, really good on switches because he's just such an anomaly of a human being and Chet. I think this injury, one area where it really might hurt him is on switches and on the perimeter. I mean, that was one of his um, I wouldn't say weaknesses, but maybe um, I think it, it took away a little bit of his versatility. I, I was of the opinion that Chet is going to need to play on the wing, at least for the first few years in the NBA Um, because playing in the middle all of the time, you are gonna you're asking for trouble physically. And if he plays on the wing next to Wembenyama, um, then I I guess if if Chet sort of becomes a little bit more of a turnstile or he has to cheat more and more uh, to stay in front of some wings, that could be a problem. But then Wembenyama is there to erase it. I just think that Wembenyama raises your defensive uh floor and ceiling to such a degree that that concern goes away. And on offense, you know, if Wembenyama can really shoot, like you can still play five out with him and Chet. And their offense would, I'm sure, incorporate some of what is going to come into vogue in the NBA, which is what the Cavs were able to do with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Because Mm -hmm. Chet certainly has sort of the, the passing vision and the mind to make some of the same plays that Mobley did. And Chet is a talented shooter, very talented, really, really good touch. So I, I, for as much of a talent as when is, I don't think Chet would sort of, um, muffle any of his talent. If anything, I think he would amplify it.
0: Yeah. To your point, like defensively would not be my concern at all with those two. I mean, they've proven to be very good defensive players and like, yeah, I don't know about 100 about Chet guarding on the perimeter, especially coming back from a foot thing. But the space that those guys would take up would be like ridiculous. Like, like you said, if one of them gets beat, then you got the other at the rim. Like, and to me, the question marks that I have with Wim Bonyama, which I'll we'll have plenty of time to get into in the future, would be more uh, injury risk, and then it when he when slash if he would get injured. That that would not only that not only the chance of it happening is higher because of how big he is, but the chance of it hurting his game or him never getting back to be the same player, both those things would be higher. But the 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 part that I don't have a question mark with him is the defense where like he moves pretty smoothly for a guy that I believe is seven foot five. So like he could be a generational rim protector and also move well enough at that length, because we've seen clips of him where he's just snuffing jumpers on the perimeter, just how long and big he is. It's just something we haven't seen before. So just the space they take up with the proof that they've, they've put out in their film that they're both good defensive players, if not elite, I wouldn't worry about that. It would just be offensively, and frankly, they're both such good prospects, and they both shoot. Uh, like, both of them shoot threes probably better than Mobley and Allen. And so you'd think the fit would work. Um, I, like, it would certainly be exciting to see. It would be fun to see how they'd manage that. Like, who's... Like, Chet, I assume, would be playing the four. But then would Wimbanyama be spotting up as well? They could go to the five out. Um, a lot of questions. Um, I would... Probably if I had to predict right now, I think that they would take him still very early. I myself have said that it's 1A and 1B for me. I don't know how much you've seen of Scoot, but to me, he's the guy that I I lean. Just because I think he's a little safer right now, I actually lean towards having him as my 1A to Nyama's 1B.
1: I've seen more of Scoot than I have of Wemby, and Scoot is tremendous in a lot of ways i want to see how his shot develops um but that's a that's a different discussion i think ironically or maybe not ironically the the concern with Wembenyama for an organization like the thunder coming off of this issue with chet is his injury history because he he has gotten nicked up but you gotta weigh the problems because if if pairing those two seems like a problem well, you can choose that problem, or you can choose the other problem, which is that if they don't take Wenbin Yama, someone else will. <laughs> and you're going to have to play him a lot. It's not like he doesn't get to join the league. So it's, at that point, unless you, like, maybe Scoot or someone else, Amen Thompson, Derek Whitehead, I mean, I don't know, maybe someone really pops and becomes the guy. But man, you, you better be real confident, not only in your pick, but that Wembenyama isn't gonna really pop somewhere else to to pass on a talent like that.
0: Yeah. Um just to finish up, I I think that I, I would love to see them play together. My concern with Wembanyama offensively would be that he and Chet are like too duplicative offensively where they both space, but they're almost maybe too tall at this point to really put the ball in the deck where guys can just get into their legs and really prevent them from doing much off the dribble in the half court. Again, that would be the concern that just there's too much duplication offensively and defensively, frankly, but I would, again, I wouldn't worry about those concerns. I personally, just because of the injury stuff, is why I'm leaning scoot right now. Also, just the offensive translation for the reasons I mentioned. Now, it's really close. I certainly reserve the right to change my mind over the next year. It almost certainly will happen. Like, If I had to make the pick, though, right now, I would lean towards the little bit more safe scoot and just to answer your question about the jumper, the mid-range pull-up for him looks so good right now. And for a 17-year-old, like I'm banking on that improving. I think he's like a very, very, very good lead guard prospect with elite athleticism, good passing. Like it's all there for me. And so I, I would just take kind of the safer route there. Um, anything else you would add to that discussion as it pertains to the Thunder uh, before we finish up? Uh, no, no, no,
1: nothing to add except that, um, though I think that those four that we talked about, Giddy, man, um, Jalen and Usman, I like, I like all four of them and, you know, it's rare to have four legit darts that project to be good NBA players in my opinion. And so, you know, you add Chet into that you've got five chances are, one or more of them is not going to find their greatest success as a member of the Thunder, just because that's not how usage works in the NBA. It usually boils down to about three and then everyone else fills in around them, but it's still, you know, they're good assets to have.
0: Yep. All right. Well, we got to go. You've got another podcast to record, but before we do tell the listeners where they can find uh, your podcast at.
1: Okay. It is the Chucking Darts NBA and Draft podcast. It's wherever you get them. But the episodes I release via Twitter, uh, I am at Chucking Darts, at Chucking Darts. And thank you so much, Sam, for having me.
0: Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for making this your first listen, hopefully today. And also, hopefully that's the case every day. Thank you so much for tuning in.